Please take out your Bibles, turn to the Gospel of Luke. We're in chapter 11. Actually looking at the scripture that immediately follows what we uh, read last week. So two sermons on prayer. Last week we talked about listening in prayer and how central that is to prayer. Uh, Today we're talking about the asking part of pray. And let me tell you, as I've been thinking about this, I'm wondering if the asking part of prayer is more difficult than the listening part. And you may uh, at first disagree with that and say, I don't know, Pastor, asking's pretty easy. Um, It doesn't take much to ask. Listening seems like it's more difficult. Asking comes very, very naturally. And you might think of a kid uh, with her dad at the grocery store going down all the yummy food aisles, the not the healthy food aisles, but the cereal and the cookie food aisles, and saying, Dad, I want that. Dad, I want that. I want that. Can I have that, please? Can I have that, please? And he puts the, the food in the basket. Or maybe he doesn't. Um, and And we might think is, you know, part of us might think, is that prayer, really? You know, just asking for stuff, and maybe dad puts it in the basket, maybe he doesn't. Um, we, we know prayer is deeper than that. But at the same time, I'm wondering if our experience of prayer is similar to that. Asking, maybe it gets put in the basket, maybe it doesn't. And what are we left with after that shopping experience? A big question mark. Do our prayers really matter? Do they really shape what gets put in the basket and what doesn't? Is dad just going to get the food that he likes regardless of the food that I like? Um, So that question was going on in my mind. Do our prayers really make a difference? Maybe one of the reasons that asking is more difficult than listening. Maybe one of the reasons we don't pray more than we do is we don't realize what God is really wanting to do through prayer, through us praying to him. That's what I want to talk about this morning. Um, So let's look at this scripture from Luke chapter 11. Starting with verse 1, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, pray this, Father, and many of the manuscripts says, Father, who art in heaven, who are in heaven, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. And then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Oh, don't bother me. The door is already locked. My children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will will not get up 
and give the bread because of friendship. Yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. The one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of your fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will instead give him a snake? Or... If he asks you for an egg, you will instead give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Uh, Jesus uses some parables to say what God is like. Um. For example, the, uh, the parable of the, the prodigal son, the story of the prodigal son. Jesus uh, uses that parable to describe what God is like. The parable has a character that represents God. And, and, and if you know that story, you'll know it's, it's the father in the story that runs out to the, 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 the lost son, the, the son that went out and did all the, the wrong stuff and came back. The, the father runs out to meet his son and embrace him and kiss him and welcome him back. That's, that's like God, Jesus is saying. There's a character in the parable that represents God and teaches us who God is like. So some of Jesus' parables are those comparison parables. God is like that. Then there are those parables that are more contrasting, where there's a, where there's a character and if we're not if we don't if we're not careful, we might think that Jesus is saying God is like that, but he's not. He's actually saying God is not like that. It's a contrast. And that is this parable here. It's a contrasting parable. Um God is not like the guy who says to the neighbor knocking on the door, Go away, it's midnight. Get lost. I don't want to I don't want to deal with you. In this parable Jesus exaggerates to prove a point. Everything is working against the needy neighbor, right? It's midnight. Which one of you would go next door at midnight and say I need some bread for my pantry? It's midnight. That's against him. You're not going to do that because your neighbor's not going to open the door at midnight for you. Um, it's a major inconvenience to the homeowner. The, the kids are all tucked in bed, not in their own bedrooms, because this is a small little house, because all the houses were small little homes. And it's just the one room. It's the bedroom, which functions as the living room, which is right by the door. And the kids and the parents are all in the room together, and the kids are all tucked in. So that's, against, that's stacked up against the, the needy neighbor. If, if, you know, if the guy gets up out of, out of bed to get bread to the needy neighbor, he's going to wake a whole household up. You know, I just spent an hour getting these rugrats down to sleep, and I don't want to have to do that again. I don't want to get up. Go away. Yet even though everything is working against the needy neighbor, what happens at the end of the parable? He still gets the bread. And here's the key. It's not because of friendship. That's not the reason. It's not like, well, I guess he's my friend. No. Simply because the request is made. His, his shamelessness at coming at midnight. The request is made, and 
that man will get up and give his neighbor the bread. Because that is what community neighbors do in a hospitality culture. We don't live in a hospitality culture compared to ancient times in the Middle East. That's a hospitality culture. And that culture demands that that man get up and get bread to his neighbor, friend or not. So when Jesus tells his parable, the, the disciples this parable, they're like, yeah. I mean, internally, they're like, of course he got the bread. That's not a surprise to the disciples at all. We totally expected that to happen, Jesus. But then Jesus gives the application. So in prayer, ask and seek and knock on God's door. But remember, this is a contrasting parable. God is not like the man asleep in the house. God does not wish that you would just go away because you're troubling him. You know, it's midnight and what an inconvenience. Because God is not like that. Why? Because God is your friend. And as Jesus also points out, he is even your father. So remember what Jesus says when his disciples say, teach us to pray, he says, pray. Our father in heaven, not our neighbor in heaven, our father in heaven. So when you read this parable, do not think of God like the man in bed, and I got to wake him up. And God's going to tell me, I don't want to bother with you. So I got to keep banging on the door and pester him enough so that he'll finally give me what I'm asking for. Do not believe that that is what God is like. That is not what this parable is teaching. God does not say about us when we pray, oh, drat. I guess I got to get up and answer this prayer. No, that isn't God. Why? Because he's your friend and he is your father. So let's talk about this asking part of prayer. Um, I want to give you four statements that uh, talk about this relationship that we have with God, our Father, and our friend, and what God wants to do through our relationship when we pray to him. Um, so the first thing is this. When, when you are praying, and this is, I think, key about prayer, ask with your heart. And, and maybe that doesn't come as a surprise. Um, God wants our hearts. Jesus criticized the religious uh, superficiality, the, the religious ceremony in his day when he quoted um, from the prophet Isaiah, these people that were just kind of doing the religious ritual, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So God wants our hearts. Francois Fenelon, uh, 17th century prayer warrior, uh, said that what makes prayer real, prayer, is when it's love, when it's love that we have in our hearts for God, and when we bring our hearts truly to God and pray from our hearts. If we're not praying from our hearts, it's not really prayer, Fenelon says. Two centuries later, 19th century, E.M. Bounds, an Episcopal preacher here in the United States, um, he echoed Fenelon. Bounds wrote 11 books. Nine of them were on prayer. Along with being a pastor, he was also 
So he was a writer, he was a pastor, and he was an attorney. Pretty busy guy, right? Probably didn't have a whole lot of time to pray. No, Bounds was known every morning to get up and pray for hours. And got up like really early. I don't know how early, but four o'clock. Prayed for several hours. That's how he began his day. Uh, Ian Bounds writes, in order to prayer, in order to really pray, it has to be done with your heart. Your heart is your center. We are more than just thinking machines, correct? Here's what Ian Bounds says. Because it requires the whole man to pray, praying is no easy task. Praying is far more than simply bending the knee and praying. That's what he said. Uh, Praying just a few words by rote. Or just what comes, you know, just spouting off stuff like the, the kid in the grocery store aisle. I want that, I want that, I want that. No. Bounds, he quotes this poem. "'Tis not enough to bend the knee and words of prayer to say, the heart must with the lips agree, or else we do not pray. Prayer is real when it is coming from our hearts. God will not be honored by prayers that are just from our lips, but not coming from our hearts. Because at its core, prayer expresses this relationship with God, who is our Father and our friend. So when you pray, second statement uh, that I, and this is just a side point, don't get paralyzed by striving for a perfect prayer. Uh, If you're having a hard time expressing to God a prayer, don't get hung up on having the right words to say, like, oh, how do I, how do I, how do I put this? And certainly don't get hung up on flowery language for God. Just pray from your heart. Praying for your heart will always be the perfect prayer to God. And also don't feel like you have to pray for perfect things. C.S. Lewis writes, We must put before him what is in us, not what ought to be in us. In other words, if prayer is not honest from your heart, it's not real prayer. So a story came to mind, uh, the story when uh, Jesus came down from the, the mountain with, with Peter. I think Peter and James and John were with him. Come down to the mountain, and there was the other disciples were there. There was a man who had come to the disciples while Jesus was on the mountain so that they could heal his demon-possessed son, and they couldn't do it. And so the, the father turns to Jesus, and Jesus... Uh, when he hears about this, he, he, uh, he rebukes the disciples. In fact, he rebukes the, the whole generation for being faithless, for their, di- for their disbelief, their unbelief. He rebu- rebukes them. So this man then turns to Jesus and says, if, if you can, Jesus, if you can, please, please. You know, my son, Jesus says, if I can. Anything is possible for the one who believes. Now, it's really remarkable because Jesus just rebuked everyone for unbelief. And so this man, here's a remarkable thing, he does not then say, oh, my faith is perfect with, in, perfectly in you. I believe, I believe. No, he, he says, I believe, but you've got to help me in my unbelief because that's there too. And he was honest before Jesus. He prayed with his heart. 
And the story ends, Mark 9, verse 24. Oh, well, that's, that's what the, I'm sorry, that's what the, what's, that's what the guy said to Jesus. Immediately the father, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief, sorry. And the next verse, <laughs> you would see, Jesus heals the, the, the son, answers that man's prayer from his heart. If you authentically come to God with your heart, you can trust God to graciously help your heart to begin to pray for those perfect things. But this will come as God works to, to change your heart. So at all times, come to God with your heart. When your heart is not perfect, God will change your heart. Uh, third statement, through prayer, God helps you to know and ask for your deepest desires. Because we can come to God with imperfect hearts. Right? That's most often how we come to God is with an imperfect heart. And God wants to shape the desires of your heart. And the way that God will do that is through time in prayer with him. The more we pray, the more we will get in tune with our what is really on our hearts. See, the truth is we have a hard time knowing what we really desire. We think we know what we desire. And then only later we realize, no, no. That's not it. That's not it. Uh, the other day, just the other day, a few days ago, I was talking to a young pastor um, who was born in Burma, spent a decade in a refugee camp in Thailand. And uh, through the United Nations, he finally got passageway to the United States. He's a young pastor, lives in Buffalo. And he was sharing his spiritual story with me uh, when he was at that refugee camp um, as, a, as a youngster in, in Thailand. He was, he was thinking stuff like this, like, I, I would love just to drive in a car one day. He'd never been in a car. I would love to be in a, ride in a car one day. I would love a fast food meal. I, that's, what I, that's what I would love. And this is just kind of the honest confessions of this guy in the refugee camp. How about, a, how about a, like a solid roof over my head? That's what I want. So he, he gets to the United States where he gets to experience all of that. Rides in the car, fast food, solid roof over his head. And it's only after that that he realizes, oh, no, that's not it. See, he got caught up in the wrong crowd, got into drugs. It was only after he discovered the love and forgiveness of his sins through Jesus Christ that he found the true desire of our hearts. We cannot, trust our, we cannot trust ourselves to know what we really desire. It's God who shows us that through time as we pray to him. What are the desires of our hearts? God uses time in prayer and silence and listening. So take time in prayer. And I want you to, to listen to what you're really praying for. It may come easily. You might say, this is an easy thing that I'm praying for. I'm praying for healing, or I'm praying for that better job, 
or I'm praying for the ability to forgive or to not worry. Maybe it's clear to you what you're really praying for. Or maybe it's hard to put your finger on what exactly it is that you want. And that's okay. Silence with God will help you understand what it is that you're really praying for. Yesterday at the men's Bible study, um, this piece of classical music came to my mind. It's called Four Minutes and 33 Seconds, written by the 20th century composer John Cage. And uh, it is a weird piece of music because there's no music. There's no instruments. The, the orchestra musicians do not play any instrument in the entire four minutes and 33 seconds of that piece. And so what the music is, if you want to call it that, is all the, all the noise that happens in the audience, the coughing that happens or the shuffling around or the, the murmuring that goes on, no one's playing, you know, just the, the audience noise is the music. That's what, and that's the stuff that you never hear when the orchestra's playing. And, and that silence with God in prayer is the silence that God uses so that we can actually hear what's going on in our hearts and think, oh, this is, yeah, I think this is what I really want, God. Is that right? And God may reveal, yes. Or, over time, No, it's actually this that you really desire. So all this just takes time and quiet prayer before the Lord. Um, And we know, I mean, we know there are different levels of importance of things to pray for, right? I mean, we get that. We get that temporary stuff is just temporary stuff. I mean, sometimes we don't act that way, but we, we, we get that. You know, we desire joy more than we desire objects. What do I want, God? I want that car, God. Can I have that car? No, that's not what I really want. What I really want, yeah, joy, inner, inner peace. That's what I really want. That's the kind of stuff that comes out over time in prayer, right? What do I really want, God? You know what I really want? It's not that stuff. I want contentment. That's what I really want. That's what I want. I want to know that I will always be with you, God, every second, that I'm never alone. That's what I really want. I want to know that. And when we spend time with God in prayer, we we get a sense of what is really in our hearts. And if our hearts aren't shaped the way they need to be, God will, we can trust God, that God will shape our hearts where they need to be. We can repent to God in prayer and know that God, over time, will be reshaping our hearts. And when God shapes your hearts and your deepest desires, that's what he will answer in prayer. And Luke chapter 11 shows us this. Jesus you know, says the, 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 you know, the, the verse that a lot of us know, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. Right? Um. And then he says, you know, and how many of you give, want to give good gifts to your children? Everyone's like, yeah, that's me. Yeah, are you going to give him a scorpion or a snake to your son when he asked, hey, can I have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? Of course you're not going to do that. All right, so ask and knock and seek. 
It's going to be given. You're going to find. You're going to find when you seek. Well, what will you find? What will we find when we seek in prayer? What door really will be opened? What happens when we ask with faulty desires? Is that what we're going to find? No, because God doesn't give snakes and scorpions. Let me tell you, keep this truth with you that God wants to give you his absolute best. And if we're not asking for God's absolute best for us, he's not going to be willing to give that to us. He's like, I want to give you my absolute best. And I'm not going to give you a snake. And I'm not going to give you a scorpion. I'm going to give you what is of absolute best to you. Here's the last thought. If you are taking notes, you can write this down. God's will is to give you the truly good gift. The truly good gift. He won't give you the snake and the scorpion. And you may need to hear that this morning. Um, because sometimes we experience things and it feels like snakes and scorpions. But it's not. That's what we need to hear this morning. It's not. There are things that can seem very bad that come to us, even through God's hand. And what about all those times when we pray for things and we pray for healing and we pray to not go for the heart, through the heart-wrenching time, but that's what happens, and we go through it. That's not a very easy question to answer, but I do know this. It's not because God has given you a snake or a scorpion, because he won't do that. He didn't allow something into your life to diminish your life without also knowing how he will use it to bring about the truly great good that he wants you to have. And so E.M. Bounds, that the, the 19th century guy, the Episcopalian pastor, writer, attorney, he, he helps us again when he writes, No trouble is ever turned loose in this world and comes into the life of a saint or a sinner, but that which comes through divine permission and is allowed to exist and do its painful work with God's hand in it or on it, carrying out his gracious designs of redemption. Nothing comes into our life except that which comes to us through God's hand, and he's going to use it for our ultimate redemption. God is relentless in bringing about the greatest good to us. And sometimes that greatest good is only brought first through faith-producing difficulty. Faith-producing difficulty. And that difficulty may be there, so just like the Apostle Paul, you might be able to say, you know what, God's grace is sufficient for me in this. Let me tell you, God is always gracious. But we should want to love the Lord such that we cherish his grace. So much so that we want to be able to say that. Your grace is sufficient for me because I love your grace, God. I love your grace, and I love what it does in my life, and it's sufficient for me. Paul writes, finishes that thought in 2 Corinthians 12. That's where it comes from. 
uh, when he says, when God says, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul finishes by writing, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, those difficult times of the faith-producing difficulty, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. I'll delight in them, Paul says. For when I am weak, I am strong. How can we say that? When I am weak, I am strong. That makes no sense unless, of course, you have Christ and it is him working in you that makes you strong. That, that it's only when Christ gives you that strength. When Christ is in you. And see, it seems like that is the greatest gift. Christ in us. That, that seems like it's the greatest gift, right? Christ in us. And of course, that's the, the promise. I hope you realize that at the very end of, of verse 13, the very last thing that we read, we see that promise, the ultimate gift, the, the perfect gift. God's greatest good for us. So let's look at verse 13 again. Jesus is saying, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father in heaven give, what? The good gifts? Well, yes, the greatest gift. How much more in your heavenly, will your heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit? That's the greatest gift. That's the greatest good. That is the perfect gift that God wants to give to us. Christ in us, Holy Spirit in us, to those who ask him. See, God knows what we truly need more than anything else is his spirit living inside of us. And, and we can ask for, for this, we can ask for that, and we could get it, and we might ask for something, and maybe we'll get it, and we'll realize, you know, that's not really what, that, that wasn't it. Riding in the car, no, that wasn't it. That, that's not really what I wanted, after all. And we could try some more. And what we find out in the end is what we really desire is for God himself, for him to put his spirit in us. And if we had God always with us to guide us and to comfort us and to strengthen us and to remind us of his love, we'll realize, wow, it seems like we have all we need. St. Augustine, maybe his most well-known quote, our hearts are restless until when? Until they rest in you, O God. All right, so is that prayer? Uh, the Holy Spirit in us, is that really prayer? I mean, that, that is not a great definition of prayer, probably, but I think that's the purpose. That is the end of prayer. I really think that. That is the true end and purpose of prayer. Because when the disciples ask Jesus, teach us to pray, he does not tell them about a technique. He doesn't give them this definition about prayer. Well, here's what prayer is. Let me define it for you. What does he do? He describes a relationship where we bring our hearts to God and we trust God with our heart. And through that, God shapes our hearts. He shapes them. And then he gives us what we truly desire in our hearts. And that's prayer.
if you're here today, and maybe like the first time, or maybe you've been a while, and you're like, I didn't know that I could really know God as my Father. Because that's what prayer is about, coming to God as your Father. Um, know that that is why Jesus died on the cross, so that your sins could be forgiven, so that you could be in that relationship with your Heavenly Father. Know that. And Jesus Christ died so you could be restored with your Father. Uh, Let's pray. Father, when prayer is not satisfying to us, we know we're not approaching it correctly. When we get bored with prayer, when we give up on prayer, when we spend 30 seconds a day in prayer, we know we're not seeing prayer correctly. And we ask that you would do something in us so that more and more we will treasure this time that we have with you in prayer because we we realize this is our this is time with you with our father in heaven and you are not like the disgruntled neighbor you are delighted when your children come to you in prayer. And we pray that over time, you would be changing our hearts. And we would be listening to you and actually learning more about our hearts and being honest with you and trusting you that we really can show that brutal honesty with you and come to you with whatever is in our hearts and know that you you love us and you You shape us into who you want us to be. Um, So may prayer be different for us moving forward. And we do pray, we do pray for you to fill us with your spirit. In the name of your son we pray, amen.